Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, Westworld, episodes three and four. It always gets down to it, doesn't it? What's in it for me? A home, General. A place where I can continue my work unmolested, and at the same time, the opportunity of serving a man of your caliber as advisor, providing you with counsel, scientific knowledge, and of course, the total and loyal support of my robots. I am speaking of absolute power. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Continuum Drag uh, for more Beyond Westworld. I'm Luke, here with your friend and mine, Jordan. Hey. How's it going, Jordan? Pretty good. Uh, I've been doing a little bit of looking in to Westworld, mm-hmm. so I could give us a little segment here about a notable Beyond Westworld uh, cast and crew. Oh, really? Um, I mean, not a lot of people, obviously. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I didn't see anything notable in what I looked at. Um, but I did find mean. a little bit. Uh, most of the people are hardworking. Like, they all have had long, long careers. Everyone right. involved in this, like, on every level. It, it just maybe not a lot of notable work, maybe. But I did I did find a little bit of notable work for us here, so let's get into it. Okay. One is the writer. Uh, he actually has a story by credit on one of the episodes, Darren Karen. Mm-hmm. I believe that was how you pronounce it. Great name. Um, he'd be notable to us for uh, he wrote a quarter of Tech War. Really? Four episodes of tech war oh which ones do we watch them all uh we didn't watch two of his four but we did watch two that he did deadline where winger needs to find his cru oh yeah okay that one wasn't terrible i guess and alter ego the one where oh yeah she switches she no personalities no no i think that's the one where um the tech lord has his AI tech lord to break him out of prison. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, the one with, with the AI who takes and over. And the AI somehow has superpowers for some reason. Yeah, and they go into the Matrix and fight him. Yeah, he wrote those two. Oh, how about that? I'm glad that we, I'm glad uh, we're always talking about tech war, no he, matter what. He's an all-star to us. He's a he's big deal for us. Yeah, big deal. Uh, the other writer who was of note was uh, Steve Greenberg. Okay. He uh, co-wrote with two other people the final episode we'll watch next week. But he is most known for writing the song Funky Town. Whoa, that is a really, that is something notable. Yeah, it was for his band, Lips Inc. Hmm. That's who did it, huh? Lips Inc? Lips Inc. L- L-I-P-S. Two P's. Oh, nice. Yeah, That's rock and roll very, there. Very rock and roll. But yeah, yeah, he wrote the song Funky Town. And he wrote next week's episode. Oh, wow. Well, that's something exciting. to look forward to. Now, do you think that song is going to get used in the episode? Oh, they <laughs> couldn't afford it. Couldn't afford it? I thought maybe they'd be double dipping on him. Here's a, here's a fun little thing, um, which you probably won't believe. Uh, the pilot to Westworld was nominated for two Emmys. I, I did see that. And it's really, it must be technical Emmys, right? Uh, one for art direction. Right. And one for makeup. Okay, I could see that. Art direction, though, really? Yeah, art direction. I mean, They were like, more brown, more brown on everything. Uh, but of the two makeup guys, one of them it was noteworthy. A man named John Chambers. Mm-hmm. He received an honorary Academy Award for his makeup in Planet of the Apes. Hmm. He's also known for creating Spock's pointy ears. Oh, really? Well, he hold, someone got credit specifically for the ears? I mean, that's uh, what he's known for. One of the things he's known for is 
having created this point of years for Spock. Hmm. Uh, the other thing he is known for, to be fair, they were only going to be, he was never going to make the ears pointy down. Like his lobes were never going to be pointy. That's an mean? interesting idea. Like <laughs> there's a, a, there's like a new Star Trek, Star Trek uh, alien down. right there. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's what the, that's what the uh, Romulan should have had. The Romulan should have had ears facing down and the, and the, uh, because they're the opposite of, yeah, they're, uh, the, they're, they're, yeah. of Spocks. What are they called? Falcons. Falcons, right. <laughs> of Spocks. <laughs> He's notable for one other small thing. He was awarded the CIA's Intelligence Medal of Merit. Wow. What for, is that? It was for his role in the Canadian caper as best characterized in the film Argo, where he was played by John Goodman. Oh, really? He was one of the key people in the attempt to break out the Americans from Iran who were being... Uh, harbored in the canadian embassy when iran kind of shut the borders after america and what did he do in this show he did the makeup he's the makeup artist on the show well that's a big change in a career yeah he set up a fake production company with a cia agent and sort of developed the idea of the movie happening and mm. held big parties and did variety press releases to make it look real so that they could go in right. and pull these guys out and of note that whole caper that canadian caper resolved with them getting out on january 27th 1980 three months two months before the show comes out so he's prepping this show to do makeup in while he is also working with the cia well bravo sir well done uh john chambers he is the high point of the show for sure oh i think you're right i think he's probably must be the most competent person that worked on the show too I mean, no one else has a CAA award. That's true. Uh, pretty good. Yeah. That, I mean, that's it. But uh, Two Emmys, though. Two, <laughs> two nominations. Two nom- oh, sorry. Two nominations. Uh, that's it for uh, notable stuff. But I, I thought that but, no, was No, you know what? Good. Funky Town and uh, uh, Freeing prison- Prisoners, it's pretty, those are pretty good. Yeah. Was- what did you ever do, Shatner? We know what he did. <laughs> um, great. Uh you want to get into the episodes? Yeah, of course. All right. Beyond Westworld Episode 3, Sound of Terror. In order to construct an atomic weapon, Quaid steals uranium from a nuclear power plant. Meanwhile, Moore and Williams attempt to identify the rock band member, who is actually an android. Um, one thing to start with, I think we mentioned it in the last episode, but these little mini trailer uh, cold opens, they really give everything away. Oh, they you you could honestly just watch what are they? They're like 30 45 seconds. You could watch that and go that's that's the show. They, that's pretty much it. They ruin the episodes cuz they they play in chronological order of the episode. So you really know every beat to what you're about to watch. Yeah. It's a nice idea cuz it kind of gets you excited about what you're going to see, but they give everything away. It it's sucks weird. the fun out of these episodes. Right. And I'll say both these episodes we're going to watch including this one, Celebrity Sighting. Oh, I, I know the one in this one, I yeah. think. But I, I knew you're not going to know the second one, so that's a little little fun a very for Very exciting tease. So should we mention it right off the bat? Who the the fun well, person? We'll get there. I'll, 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 I'll lay in kind of where the episode starts off, which is at a rock band concert outside in, of outside of a nuclear plant. Yeah, outside of a nuclear plant where they're having an anti nuke protest, and the band playing is apparently extremely popular music act, Power and Ruth. Yeah, and let me just say something about Power and Ruth. They look. They don't look like a cohesive band at all in, in that they don't look like a real band. They look like they were just thrown together by someone who's 
maybe never seen a band before. Like, it's like, uh, what does a band look like? I don't know. You have Metallica and Cyndi Lauper with Sting, right? That's look of the band. It's like, no, no, those people don't look alike. Like, one guy had a handkerchief, another guy's wearing an all leather outfit, and one guy had a tambourine. It's just they look stupid. Well, let me ask you, how many members of this band would you estimate there are? I, I don't know, like eighteen. There, were, there was so many of them, right? There, there was at least five, but I think it could have been as many as like eight to ten. Yeah, there was a lot, and again, they were all, all very desperate. There wasn't. Yeah. Uh, well, you mentioned the handkerchief. Like, one of the band members is wearing an ascot. Yeah, we'll see an extra in an ascot. John Moore is going to dress up in they, an ascot. This show has a tremendous amount of ascots. It's amazing. I've never seen so many. I didn't know like 1979, 1980 was the prime time for that. Yeah, there, you know there was some guy who had like a, a company on ascots, and he's just looking at his his chart, and it's going up and up every year. He's like, guys, guys, ascots. And then, you know, 1982 hits, and he's just, he's on skid row, just injecting himself in his vein and in between his toes because it's the last one available. And he's just like, ascots, what did you do to me? Right? Probably. Uh, sounds like a great sketch. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird costume choice, that's for sure. They keep coming back to it. So I have to assume that was the fashion at the time, right? No, no. Let me just say, though, if you're, if you're a, a band and you're doing less one of these like charity concerts or protests do you generally do it right at the place like you know you're like let's free you know free tibet that was a big concert you know but like they didn't go to tibet to do it do you know what i mean like no i I guess it's do you think it's i thought it was weird they were i know why why they have to protest right outside this because it becomes the plot point that someone in the band is possibly stolen like nuclear missiles uranium. or they've stolen uranium. uranium but i just thought that was weird is, is that what people do people protest at the place i think so i i think that's i guess just people who chain themselves to trees yeah i think that's the idea is they're like out there causing trouble for the nuclear power plant and you're right the the whole plot is we we see a shot inside the nuclear power plant for two seconds where a loudspeaker is announcing that uranium has been stolen and yeah, they're, they're just like, they're like, two of them are missing. And then you just see a thing and there's clearly two missing. Yeah. And then they cut back to behind the trailer tractor yeah. that they are performing on. And someone's cut a hole in the fence. So like someone in the band is. Yeah. The old classic just cut the, the fence, fence to the, uh, to the, the nuclear place. power plant. That's it. That was the only security they had. So easy. Um, so silly. But yeah, I, I guess these are the celebrity sightings is the band. Um, power, who is the lead name in this, but doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be the lead of this band at all. He could be any other person in this band. But he really gives it. He Does, gives it everything. He's maybe maybe giving it too much, don't you think? Every scene where he's playing guitar, he's like, he's at 11. If he's playing keyboards, he's at 11. Like, he's never he's never not giving 110%. Well, it's because he's a special guest star, Rene yeah. Auberchinois. Of course, it's Odo. Odo from Deep Space Nine. And you can't not recognize him because no matter who he plays, like he just looks like Odo, doesn't he? I've seen every time I see him show up in in older movies or anything now, he just, it's just Odo. It's I would say again. he looks the youngest I've ever seen him. Right, but he always looks like yeah, he's got that face. Yeah, like as a kid, he looked like Odo, and he's got long hair and a beard this time. So yeah. he's kind of he's he's doing something. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's the most handsome I've ever seen him look. Yeah, you think so? I mean, that's not saying a lot, but he like looks young and vibrant, right. I guess. Right. And then uh, the other member of the band, Ruth. I don't know if you'll know this. I had to look it up, but it was interesting. Uh, Ronnie Blakely. I don't know who that is. Is she a real singer? Uh, she wrote and sang all the songs in the episode. Okay. That. Let me just say right off the bat, it it drove me crazy. There was way too much singing, and I knew she must be a real singer because 
there's extended sequences of just them singing and then you'll go to a bit of dialogue and come back to more singing. I was like, oh, guys, enough. I don't care about this band. And they're always like, everyone are really into it. And I was like, there's no one into these songs. Well, I mean, they may have given that so much time because she's also an Oscar nominated actress. Really? For her supporting role in Robert Altman's Nashville. Oh, you know what? You know what? I've never actually seen Nashville. So like, she's a pretty big get for this show. Right. And I, I just didn't know who she was. Well, I mean, good for them. And then we say, oh, no, this is the last episode that aired, right? Yeah. And and this didn't, this didn't keep them on the air. Couldn't pull it out of the nosedive. Mm. Anyways, there's way too much singing. Sorry, what's her name? Lucy? R- Ronnie. Ronnie, yeah. It's just too much singing. Uh, it's about robots, not singing. <laughs> singing robots. Yeah, it's singing robots, but bring on the robots. From this point, we kind of jump into what I would say has to be the fastest setup to this show yet. Like, under five minutes, yeah. for sure. They cut to North Africa, where we learn Quaid is going to give a nuclear bomb to some North African despot general who wants to be like a strong man in his country with a nuke bomb. A nuke bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Good enough. NB, um, as the kids say. And then they cut immediately to Delos, where they've put it all together before we get that they're like, he stole uranium. He used the band to do it. He's gonna sell this nuclear bomb. Yeah, they, to they always jump to what would not be your first guess as to what happened. Like, well, it must be a band. One of the band members must be a robot who broke into the nuclear facility because, of course, because they were playing. It's like, whoa, 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 why would you think that's? But they're like, they're and they always say that they're like, like, well, it must just be a robot. And everyone it, goes, okay. It takes less than five minutes to get through that, and it ends with it. We've got to infiltrate the band. I'm like, that's the only solution. And let me just say, I think it happens later on where you hear. Quaid's reasoning and you might have written it down but it it's a long way for him to go so he steals he has nuclear power but he wants to give it to someone so he gets in power so that maybe the guy's indebted to him or that guy allows him to run rampant and have his headquarters it's just like why wouldn't this is a long way to go for all this work. they always have to make his plans way more convoluted than they need to be yeah he just wants a safe haven that's it he just wants a country he can go hang out in so that's the deal. I give you a nuclear bomb. You let me hang out here. But I don't know. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's, it's not, not a good great plan. plan. So this brings them to a big concert that Power and Ruth are putting on. Yeah. More is like snooping around with a Geiger counter trying to find the uranium, which they have just said could only have been stolen by a robot because it's so radioactive that it would kill a human being. And he's literally picking up the empty. He finds the empty yeah. canisters on the bus, and he's picking them up. He's looking inside. I was just yeah. like, um, and what's her face? Um, uh, Pam. Pam says at one point. Um, I, one thing I noticed. It's been about three episodes in a row now where um, someone calls and just gives information. I don't know if you noticed that. They always have to like take a phone call, and like, no matter where they are, someone knows how to call them. The, um, this is my favorite part of the episode. I think is when they get that phone call. When they're at, at the concert. At the concert, because I'm like, oh, is this what happened before cell phones? Some guy just walks around backstage yeah. asking for Williams or more. Williams or more. You've got a phone call. You got a phone call. Um, she does say one funny thing, though. Pam says, uh, while she's watching the concert, it's weird standing here listening to rock music, knowing that the state could blow up in one big mushroom. I was like, hey, Debbie Downer. Everyone's at a concert here. You know? She, uh, she got to keep it real for everybody. Yeah. As our concert wraps up, John and Pam are waiting for them to get off the stage and they introduce themselves as the new public relations people yeah. for the band. And John even uh, Moore is even like, 
ask your manager, which no one ever does. It, it really does feel like they've just shown up and are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, We're yeah, it's, to be here. it's a super flimsy cover that no one calls them on. Can you imagine just showing up backstage and being like, hey, I'm your PR person. And they go, all right. Also, a couple of things. One, when when uh, John and Pam show up, the two band members are having a very loud personal conversation. They're having a fight about their marriage and how it has to yeah, do Ruth with the band. Yeah, Power, yeah. And what I love is <laughs> John and Pam could not be any more than two feet away standing there, but they do their whole fight, and then John says something, and they turn around, and they're like, oh, I didn't see you there. It's like, how did you not see him? He was literally standing directly beside you the entire time you are having this conversation. Well, really, before John even talks... Pam just starts taking photos of them mid marital spat. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. I was like, that's very. They told them they're very spent so much time with robots. They don't know who humans, humans were. (laughs) They don't know behaviors of humans Um, anymore. But let's just say so they 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 pretend to be PR people. But this was doesn't make sense with their cover. You would assume at this point, Quaid would have let all his robots know what John and Pam look like, right? Oh, absolutely. So the robot should spot them right away. But they never, if they do, they never do anything or or reveal themselves or make any move towards them at all. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Like you would think like one of them would go, no, you're not. Oh, right. Just call them out. Yeah, for just call bullshit. them out. Like you're not the PR guy. You know, that's a good plan, actually. I hadn't considered it, but that's a much better plan than anything that's been done so far. Right. Anyway, just saying. I'm literally going to skim past probably 20 minutes of this episode right now because they go through the motions here. They take Ruth out and start asking, hey, is anyone in your band acting weird or something? Yeah. Which I'm just like, have you guys not come up with a better plan of how to spot these robots? That's yet? how they do it every episode. It's it's the same thing they do every episode. There's a great shot, a uh, nice product placement piece where they go up to the Ramada Inn they're staying at. A I did see that. Ramada inside. I'm like... There's... There- there's one we could probably cut this but there's one funny uh line where um uh the 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 two main band people have like three three or four fights through the quarter of the episode and at one point the, the basic her point about why she's unhappy is he wants everything too extreme and uh, she just wants like a, to settle in life and she says to him uh she mentions the three things that he's always doing that are too extreme and she goes skydiving racing ski boats and then she says tobogganing and I thought, like, how extreme is tobogganing? It's like, you know what? Enough of this extreme, you know, snow fort making. It's like, that's not extreme at all, tobogganing. Like, it, children do that, a little magic carpets. I was, I, I mean, we're not going to get into it. That's the whole premise of these two characters is they're a married band couple, I guess. Yeah. And they're not getting along right now. By the end of the episode, they'll be back together. Yeah. But... It's such a minor plot. Like it doesn't affect the plot. Yeah, there's no point. It, it just it just kills time. They just come back and they fight occasionally. It's so weird, but yeah, that sort of happens around this hotel too, where again they just kind of they don't have a plan. Like when they're at the hotel, Williams is now just walking around the rooms of the Geiger counter trying to pick up the nuclear or the uranium that's missing. So she's walking around. And did you catch these lines between them at the hotel? What was that? Williams is like got the Geiger counter, she's been looking around, and she says, well, I can't find the uranium. I, I've been through every guy's room. To, oh, I do, uh, yeah, I do remember this. To which Moore replies, and you still look fresh as a daisy. Like, just implying the worst thing about her. Yeah, he's, there's, <laughs> I think we mentioned in the last episode, there are certain things that really let you know the time period that a show is made, and the casual sexist comments, uh, and, and sort of, 
I mean, like jokey put downs of the female characters. Williams um, should are, call HR. Dallas yeah. HR should be on the phone immediately. She's like, she's like, John can't go five minutes without making some sort of off sexual, some comment. sort of crude remark about me yeah. doing my job. Yeah. But, but 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 do you think she slept with all the band members? <laughs> to you and me, she probably did, right? Well, she'd know who the rubble was, right? Right. Yeah. So no, so the answer's no. No, she didn't. All right. Oh, one one quick thing. Let me just let me just before you go on. <laughs> I don't know if John was supposed to be in character or it was just his outfit. But did you notice the sh- <laughs> the shirt he put on at one point? He's wearing like a cowboy shirt, like cowboy style shirt that has on each shoulder a horseshoe and then he's wearing that like cravat or whatever again and i was like is he in character as a pr band or is this actually the fashion he decided that's the outfit he decided to wear for the day uh well let me put it this way i thought he had just stolen the look from the robot at the oil rig from the last episode who was also <laughs> he, he did look similar to that didn't exactly he? the same as that yeah um to that point though i think he's being a character and this comes up much much later when John Moore calls Power to warn him about a robot, he picks up a phone and calls him, and Power's like, what, who's this? John Moore, what happened to your accent? He, Yeah, what was that? He doesn't have an accent at all. Was the actor doing an accent, and it just was so subtle and bad that no one heard it? Or was that like a line left over from something, and no one just no one cared to catch well, it? Well, that's what I'm wondering is... I guess he was dressed in an outfit. Maybe he thought he was putting on an accent to play. Like right. he was like in character as this publicist. And clearly somewhere in the script, the idea was he would fake an accent. Right. I don't know. Maybe they just shot that scene first. And then he's like, I'm not doing the accent. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. That's funny though. I do remember that. It was just really like, so I think maybe to your point, I think he is trying to be like the, the idea is like, oh, he's in character. Right. Okay. But they clearly abandoned that concept very quickly because right. that last line of the episode makes no sense. Anyways, we digress. What, what, where we digress. are we at right now in the show? Essentially, we've gone through the motions. They've looked around for a robot. They've gotten nowhere. Uh, we finally get to see this roadie named Ryder is making the like the encasement for the bomb that the uranium is going to go into, mm-hmm. which is weird because like he's not. Like, why would he know this, A? He seems to just have, like, Ikea instructions for how to build an atomic bomb. Yeah. Is he the guy that looks like and should be played by Thomas Hayden Church? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, all right. I, I get that one. I get yeah. that reference. Yeah, great. Uh, that's pretty good. He could easily be done that. He's been hired by Quaid, and as soon as he's done building the bomb, Quaid tells him, like, all right, now go stab more. Right. Because his plan is always just to send someone to, like, very bluntly kill more in the like most awkward fashion and he mentioned right from the beginning episode one uh what's his name quaid likes robots because they're so effective and he remember he can't even he can't even fathom how john could have beaten that one by sticking his hand in water but uh, the robots are terrible they they, their their kill count so far is zero they never they never accomplish anything so it's like these robots are actually kind of crappy well in this case the robot wait rider tries to stab john and he just stabs a power box instead and is electrocuted. Yeah, it's a funny scene. But counter to your point about robots, they go to the hospital. This is the best. And they talk to the doctor and they're like, was there anything unusual about that man who was electrocuted? Yeah. And the doctor says, he looked like any other human being I've ever seen electrocuted. Yeah. And then I like John goes, I'd like to take a look at the body. And the doctor was like, all right. 
Like you imagine showing up to a hospital, you have no credentials. You're not you're not a government official. You're not a police officer. She's like, I'd like to see uh, the body, and the doctor's like, Yeah, sounds good to me. It's my lunch break. What do I care? Sure, wanna, why not? Want want to see his penis? Like it's weird. <laughs> it's, it's really weird. And to this point, Ryder is a human that yeah. Quaid has hired. I'm like, yeah, I know it doesn't make any sense. Why? It's, it's one of their famous uh, red herrings that don't think about too much because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, Other than it's just to throw you, uh, throw you off, and it's like, but why? Why, could, why couldn't there have been two robots in the bed? No, but they couldn't possibly be two robots. That's too crazy. Yeah, so we're kind of now get the final review. Now that we know he's not the robot, the show reveals to us who was the android the whole time. And it is a random guy who is in the band who maybe we saw earlier. I was going to say, I'm almost positive, almost positive. For one, this guy's had no dialogue and has not been featured in any scenes. He, at best, he may have been in the background, but I don't even think he was. Yeah. Because uh, would you not have spotted him? His his, uh, distinguishing feature is he wears hilarious big red sort of red ruby heart sunglasses yeah he's got huge heart sunglasses yeah he only shows in the last 10 minutes uh fun fact about the heart sunglasses it's because his robot eyes have a design flaw so he has to wear them i know i i that was that was probably my favorite thing of the episode was that he's got a design flaw so they're still going to put him out into the field and what are they going to do like give him cool sunglasses like give him some ray-bans no Give him these ridiculous Janis Joplin-esque sort of sunglasses. Like, why would you ever do that? It's so silly. Anyway, he now exacts the plan because he's got the bomb inside of his body. The robot had has had the bomb installed in his body. Yeah. So he's going to transport it to North Africa by kidnapping Ruth and hijacking the band's personal jet. Now, let me mention something about the jet. So this is where the next action takes place. But you notice... They're all there at one point. They're getting ready to get on the plane. And uh, I don't know what anyone's name is. Susie, the the woman who's in the Ruth, band. Ruth. Ruth, Ruth and Power. Yeah. And anyway, who cares? Ruth. <laughs> Ruth is like, guys, it's time to get on the flight. And she's going around. But then when we actually get to the flight, it's just Ruth and Power. Yeah. None of the rest of the band is on this private plane. And you can clearly see because you can see all the seats. Well, I except do. For, except for old uh, Janice Joplin classes. I do. I do think, to be fair. It is because the robot kidnaps her from the hotel before anyone's ready to leave. Oh, you think so? Well, because the robot also beats up Pam at the hotel. Oh, that's right. Well, Pam and Pam's Pam is really a pretty useless once again. They don't know what to do with this character, so they just knock her out. So she's constantly. Not there. She's constantly being knocked out. Yeah, like she, she's gonna have to go to the doctor. That doctor who will just let anyone look at her when she's knocked out. Uh, you you mentioned you said this last time about Quaid and his plans. I think you called the, well, his last plan a madman's plan. Okay. This one more than ever, I was like, this is an insane plan. Yeah. Here I'm gonna pitch you a better plan. It still uses Quaid's be- like basic concept. Do it. Okay. You use the band to still break in and steal uranium. Clearly, that went fine. Good plan that part. Just have the robot pass the uranium off to another robot. He builds the bomb. That robot then replaces an international pilot who has to go to North Africa anyway, and then you fly the bomb over there. Why on earth are you hijacking a band's plane that has no reason to go to North Africa? Like, it doesn't make any sense how this plan was ever going to come together. No, I know. It's it's uh, It's got all the problems if you saw the script and you're like, oh, this script 
has all the problems that you would normally see with like a first draft um but they didn't fix them <laughs> they just like yeah hey good to shoot this one this is as good as it's gonna get um who did we get we got that woman from nashville grab the film let's do this but you're right the the plane they're on it's empty powers the pilot because he's such a daredevil he flies the jet he, of course who of course the band the guy who's in the band flies his own plane yeah. come on guys it, it makes makes perfect sense he forces power to leave he's like i've got your wife hostage it's time for us to get out of here i want you to fly us to north africa in the time it's taking the like him to i guess power up the plane the door like the doors don't close more like runs up somehow yeah he climbs into the plane and the doors auto shut and they get in a fight that lasts what would you say 30 seconds yeah well well uh, what i like is what they he really wants to get the sunglasses off the guy right. but it doesn't really hinder him at all no they well, have a fight yeah you have a fight for conser- maybe 30 conservatively seconds. would you say 30 seconds a minute maximum this fight happens yeah maximum while this fight's happening they're intercutting with the plane taxiing down the runway yeah. it takes off it flies over the city and flies out into the middle of the ocean so in the course of this 30 second to a minute fight they have traveled hundreds of thousands of kilometers maybe it's in boston maybe they're the boston right I, on the coast i guess so they're, they're just, in they're in maine right on the coast so close to the ocean yeah it happens so so fast yeah well so they and they have that they have that really dumb fight with the robot but it does have that funny scene where he's fighting and and John John pushes the door open with yeah, his foot. Yeah, he depressurizes the plane by kicking the door open. Yeah, and then the robot does the funniest backwards walk, the like he's getting sucked in. But it slowest walk. But it looks door. hilarious. It's like he's walking backwards and then grabs grabs John's foot on the way out, and you're like, oh, the tension. Is he gonna pull him out? Of course now, he's not. I wrote this down. Is this what John says when he kicks him out the door? Yeah. Finally, bombs away. He yells, bombs away. <laughs> yeah, he has. He doesn't care that the guy is a nuclear bomb and could kill hundreds of thousands of people. Um, he still has time for a, a nice quip. A quip, a nice quip. At which point we get a nice shot of a mannequin falling through the air. Yeah, they love the mannequins. Which hits the water and then explode. Does the nuke go off? It explodes yeah. when he hits. I, I think the nuke goes off. I yeah, think John off. sets off the nuke in the middle of the ocean. I know. So so it's like I saved everyone. Um you guys didn't like like whales and fish, did you? Just the fallout from that. Yeah. I mean, he, like you say, he can't be that far from that city. No. They've been in the air for 30 seconds. Well, and uh, of course, in the next episode, they mention how they killed everyone in the city. Could you imagine? Yeah, it's, it just starts on a newspaper article. Yeah. If you thought the Westworld massacre was bad, see Wait, what Delos you're... is up to this time. <laughs> And I mean, that pretty much wraps up. I mean, there's a tiny moment where we see that Ruth and Power have gotten, have made up with each other, but nobody cares. Uh, and that kind of like wraps the episode up. That's it. That's- the, the, the episodes, this show wraps up way too fast every time. Like they don't even have that usual, you know, the post scene where they'll go back and they have a drink and then they discuss it. And then they all have a laugh and freeze frame. That never happens. It's like he kicks the robot out and he's like, bombs away. Shows over. You're like, what? It's over. And it happened. This three episodes, they've all been like that. It's really like the starts are so quick. They like this one was like less than five minutes from the going, and then that really quick ending, like the middle part, that middle thirty minutes where nothing happens. Yeah, the show had like five minutes of content. It speeds to the beginning, speeds to the end, and it just lingers forever. Yeah. So that's that. On to the next one. Yeah. Let's let's do the next one. 
Beyond Westworld, Episode 4, The Lion. You think this was an accident? Somebody sabotaged that car and tried to kill you. It doesn't make any difference what the reasons are. You know, I don't believe you. You never ran away from a fight in your life. I had legs to stand on before. Oh, you had a lot of things to stand on. Look, if you don't care about anything else, think of Lion. Lion Store needs you to build that car. The Delos team discovers Westworld electronics in the debris left after an experimental car is destroyed. More must discover if the explosion is part of Quaid's latest scheme. I know, again, again he, he, he hears a, a, like a, a car broke down. Must be robots. Why? Why would it must be robots? I don't, there's never been any of these cases so far that have signified, maybe the nuclear, stealing something from a nuclear site, but all of, so far all the episodes, to think it's robots is, is a far-fetched guess at best. I'll, I'll tell you. Oh, there was a robbery. Must be a robot. Why? There, there was one episode where that's how they figured it out. Really? Which one was that? Uh, the second episode where he knocks that cop over. He's like, oh, it must be a robot. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Here's my big, biggest letdown of this episode. Uh-huh. Uh, no robot lion. When I saw the episode was called The Lion, I was like, yes, there's going to be a robot lion. You're right. Lion I didn't even think of that. On the loose. It's going to be the greatest. They do say the word lion way more to- way way too many times in this episode. Well, you know, they just say lion, lion, lion. Constantly. Well, I'll get into that right now because the episode is about Lion Star Motors run by the Lion family. Mm-hmm. So everyone's name is Lion. Yeah. And they constantly are saying it. And I guess Lion Star Motors is a stock car company? Yeah, it's... Uh, the. They've also invented, or they also created a gasohol engine. Yeah, they're they're sort of kind of, kind of like they're like like a Tesla type company. They're a, a few, somewhat futuristic car company that, for whatever reason, it's very important they showcase their car in a race without really testing it first, which is a terrible idea. But did, did you know what a gasohol engine was? No, well, I just assumed it was uh, a better engine, gasohol. I, I I googled that. I guess it's like gas and ethanol or something. Put together. Oh, it's really a thing. Uh, apparently, I I just I couldn't find a lot. Of, I think it maybe it was a thing that never really became a thing. I don't know. Mm. Or maybe all of our gas is now gasohol, and I have no idea. I just assumed it was like a uh, like Romulan ale. It's like a not real thing, you know. No, I think it is a real thing. Uh, I did not. I was not able to figure out much other than that. And we'll never talk about it again. Who cares? It's true. Here's what I got very excited about in this episode, though, because we meet this family. They're testing this new engine in their race car, and they drive around the track a bunch of times, and there's a whole crew there. And at some point, they start, like, the patriarch is talking to the crew and talking about stuff, and he turns over and he says, like you, John, and John's part of the crew. And I I was just like, oh, is is this episode starting, like, uh, what's the term, uh? like in media's res or something like has John already been placed undercover somewhere? Are we in the middle of the episode? It's like, Oh, this is good. They're like, they're skipping the stuff they're bad at and putting us, <laughs> yeah. putting us in a place. Uh, no, they're just family friends of John. He's not there for any reason at all. No. And, and, and this happens later on in the episode. He is just a family friend and, but he sort of keeps interjecting himself. Like he's someone that you don't really know that keeps showing up to like family barbecues and stuff. And like, even at one part, him and Pam put on like, they're out there like mechanics outfits and like John's working on the car and stuff. It's like, there's no way you know how to fix this car. Get out of here. Go search for robots. That's what you're 
quote unquote good at. Yeah, it's really weird. This is John in his off time. Like he is not on assignment right now. This is just who he hangs out with. He hangs out with mechanics who make gas haul cars. Anyway, they're watching uh, the lead driver, Corey, testing the car out. He's driving around the track, pushing it to its limit. Yeah. And on the final track, it comes around the corner. They're like, all right, really push it now. And we've seen a lot of shots of this car driving around I know this track say. all the time. <laughs> and as they say, push it. We cut back to the car on the same track as yeah. it, we have always seen. But now it's nighttime. I know. And the car explodes and it cuts back daytime again where everyone else is. I know. It was what really happened there? it was it was uh it was shockingly distracting. They shot all this car footage but didn't get around to blowing up the car until nightfall. Yeah. And they're like, that's fine. No one will notice. I know. It's it was bad. It yeah, it cuts to what is quite clearly the middle of the night. And yeah. then back to daytime. I you know what? That's the thing. If they just had the rest of the scene be at night, you could have presumed that he was on the track for a very, very long time, but they kind of ruined it by going back to the day. Yeah, it, it's it's a very it was a very funny cut. Um, I mean, it really just speaks, I think, to probably why the show was canceled. Clearly, no one put a lot of trouble into the quality, and like, there's no quality control on the show. Right, and and I think this this episode, I, maybe it's just because I knew this was one of the ones that hadn't aired. Um, it felt like the quality of the show was already starting to drop from. Let's be fair, not a terribly high mark to begin with. I guess it's true. I mean, maybe they had a plan to go and try to, like, do some sort of color timing on it. There, there's a line later, too, where John's talking to uh, one of the characters, and there's quite clearly an ADR, a badly laid-in ADR line. Yeah, there is, yeah. That uh, doesn't fit the scene at all. I think, and maybe that is just because they these are episodes that never finished post. They're like, oh, this show's over. Right. Don't finish them. And then that's the sense I got. And then someone later was like, let's put this on DVD. Yeah, I know. And then other people like us bought it. <laughs> um, so let me just mention. So the guy, I don't know anyone character's name. So uh, drivers. Yeah, driver. Corey. Sure, Corey. He gets, he blows up. He ends up being paralyzed. Yeah, he's paralyzed from the waist down from this explosion, which and, Quaid set off. Like, they find Westworld technology or West, some sort of thing. That, they basically have find some sort of trademarked Westworld equipment in the car. Yeah. So they know Quaid blew it up. And uh, Pam says to John, because they're like, it's Quaid. I got, and Pam says to him, she goes, you can't take this case. Sort of implying that he's emotionally compromised. Um, but what's funny is he's the only like robot investigator. That's what I'm calling him, by the way, is robot investigator. I like it. Um, he's an RI. So she's like, you can't take the case. I was like, of course he is. He's the only one who can do it. Like well, there's no other, there's no other investigators. They brought him in specifically in the first episode and all that rain. He was helicoptered in because he's the only one who could solve stuff. You are right. There does not seem to be anyone else in that department that can do that. Yeah. So when she was like, don't, you can't take this case. I was like, oh, so you're just going to let, let this, let the lion family. But you know why he couldn't take down? it? He was supposed to go to assignment in the Middle East. Oh, is that right? He's like, they're like, you have an assignment in the Middle East you need to go to. You need to go to, and he's just like, no, I'm not going. I have to do this. And he like throws. He's kind of pitches a fit, and as he storms out of the office at Delos, I don't know if you noticed this. Delos doesn't have regular doors. It's sliding doors. I he didn't like notice. tries to slam a sliding door. He's like, Ugh. <laughs> I didn't remember yeah, that. It's real. I was like, well, that's not dramatic at all. Yeah, it is hard to slam a sliding door. Uh, poor Delos. So uh, old uh, Skippy, what's his face? He gets Corey. paralyzed. Corey's paralyzed. There's a bunch of actually 
uh, they're very dramatic, maybe overly dramatic, but I didn't hate them. Like he, the actor is actually doing an okay job. I thought the same thing. He 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 had very little to work with, and he was really giving it. Because his character now is a race car driver for a living. He's been paralyzed from the waist down, and you know he's very distraught about it. And I actually was like, oh, this actor is really doing his best to dig some real emotion out of this place this character's in. I mean, in a thankless show for it, but <laughs> yeah. there's a like we have a, a good few scenes of drama around of him being dramatic about it and it was good his wife says to him when he's in the hospital in one of these scenes where he's like you know slag off or whatever he says um and she says to him because he's uh, he's upset because he's realized he's paralyzed and she said i didn't fall in love with your arms and legs and i thought whoever says they fell in love with someone because their arms and legs what a weird thing to say and and also by the way he still got him i was gonna say there's nothing wrong with his arms i just said what are you talking about my arms are fine She's all. She's talking. Anyways, she just doesn't know what what paralyzed noise. Yeah, she doesn't means. know what that means. But you can still dance, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> it's at this point they kind of introduce. I guess like Delos. Who knows how they figure anything out? But I guess they figured out that Quaid. I don't entirely know what this means, but Quaid has been buying Lion Star's outstanding notes. Is that like debts? Is that yeah, it's buying debts. its debts? Yeah. So he's been buying his debts. I. Yes, the idea is he wants to, for them to go under, he'll own their debts and he'll be able to get their patent on the gasohol engine. Yeah, this is this is his uh, direct and approach is when he bought the debts for the guy who was the brother of the oil company. It's just like this is this so is the convoluted. same. It's the same plot. It's just yeah. like last last episode was about him trying to get a nuclear weapon. Just like the pilot, these are the same plots. They've just the first yeah. two episodes are repeating now. They they really don't have much. What I did find interesting though. Is part of his plan here is he wants this gas haul engine because they say he's already taken over several small oil producing countries in the Middle East. Oh, really? Yeah. They say Kuwait has already done this. He's taken over countries. Like he's already he's out winning. of control. Like he's winning exponentially compared to you guys are trying to figure out why a car exploded. He's running countries, oil producing countries now. On a side note. They say that uh, the car exploded because he put someone put uh, part of the Delos machinery in the car, right? If they were able to do that, why didn't they just steal the engine? You know what I mean? If you have someone on the inside, just take it. Just take it. Yeah. It, I know why, because... He needs the patents. He needs the intellectual property. Yeah, yeah exactly. They're like, wait a minute. I see you have this car. Uh, do you have the, the ownership? Oh, uh, uh, no, uh, not me, the robot. Uh. Yeah, it, it, it's very silly. And I mean... The premise of this, they deduce, I guess, is because he owns all these oil-producing countries now, Yeah. and if he gets this gasohol engine, what he's going to do is solve America's energy crunch so that people will like him. Well, it's not, it's 1980, right? Is oh, it's the, the middle of the oil crisis. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, I had to do some research. I'm like, is this when it was happening? Like, yeah, like it happened... At, at the end of 79 into 80. So this is like happening at this moment. That's why they're so obsessed with oil on this show. Yeah, But I'm like, that's a good plan. I like the plan of like, oh, I'm going to solve the oil crisis. Like, yeah, that would buy you a lot of goodwill. Yeah. He just, it's just the way he goes about things, you know? But John's furious about that idea. Like when that is posed as what his plan is, John like flips out and, he's, and he says he's going to get Delos to bankroll Lionstar so yeah. that he can't take over. And I'm like, 
you're like what the security chief the RI? i know who gave him authority to give seem i, I assume thousands maybe hundreds, hundreds of, thousands of thousands of dollars to this company yeah. that is apparently barely staying afloat like it is insolvent this company yeah uh, he's just he's personally said his company will give this other company a bailout yeah just because because he's angry not his job yeah anyway yeah this is his plan there are a bunch of stuff happens here none of it matters like a robot burns down the garage yeah who cares it doesn't mean anything the patriarch has a heart attack also doesn't raise the stakes at all no it, it just goes away it just it just never comes up again but um, a cameo is coming up very shortly. Oh well, hold on. Uh, let me let me say. There's one more thing about this bad quality of the show that comes up here. <laughs> okay. Uh, they go back to the hospital. And I don't know if you've caught this, but uh, Moore and Williams, John and Pam are having like a conversation together, and they're cutting back and forth between mm. them. And it's a very dramatic conversation. But on John's shots, which they stay on him, his eyes are quite clearly looking at cue cards. He's looking at her, and he looks away to read the cue cards. And he looks back at her, and he looks away to look at the cue cards. And he looks back at her, like. Oh, I didn't notice. And it stays on him for a good 20 seconds, and his eyes are just darting back and forth between cue cards and her, and I'm like, oh my God, you guys. They were feeling the budget crunch. Or maybe he's just not a very good actor. I, it was, it was. I feel like something terrible happened on the show in this third episode. Uh, who's, who's this cameo? So, I, I didn't think you would notice it, but and as soon as the face came up, I was like, it's it, there, there's a guy who's with Quaid, and I was like, this face is familiar, and who it is is Russell Johnson. I don't know if you know who Russell Johnson is, but he played the professor on Gilligan's Island. <laughs> and he's like now Quaid's right-hand man or something. But I think he has maybe two lines at most. It, yeah, I would be surprised if he had any lines. So that's he's hilarious. one of those actors where, because then I saw it and I looked it up and I was like, oh, is it him? And it is. And the sad, he's an actor who worked a lot. But the sad thing is, more often than not, he played the role of the professor in other shows. Like as a sort of gag, like he show up on, you know, Alf and they answer the door and they're like, who is it? He's like, it's me. I just got off a boat. I'm the professor. You know, like that sort of like, like hacky, yeah, yeah. hacky cameo. He, the poor guy did it like, like at least 10 times in shows. I mean, I know it pays the bills, but at least on this, he was playing something different. But was as he? soon as, well, I mean. <laughs> Are you sure he wasn't playing the professor? He might be, he might have been the professor. That'd he was be great in a lab if, coat. If this took place in the same world as Gilligan Island. He was in a lab coat. He could have been a professor That's working, true. For, uh, working for Quaid. That's true. Anyways, I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. I, I did not catch that at all. So now John basically says there's only one way to stop Quaid. At this point in the show, there's only mm. one way to stop Quaid. That's to go on with the race. I know. They say that they're like, we have to. Even when he's bankrolling, it's like, we have to. just like. Why? You just saved the company. You gave it all the money to the company. You don't need to compete in this race now. Yeah. It, just it, just keep looking for the robot. That's your job, John. It doesn't make any sense. But it is in this moment that uh, Corey, our driver, finds finds courage in himself, gets in his wheelchair, and comes back to work. And yeah. now he's rejoining the team. So we have some hope again yeah. for Yeah, Corey. apparently they couldn't get it done without him, but he's so useful or uh he's the uh, only integral. one who can build this car up again yeah. after the explosion yeah we cut to commercial we come back and quaid is talking about more he's complaining how this is the third time more has made forced him to alter his plans this is episode four this is the third time <laughs> so one time he didn't do it <laughs> no i just well everything went according to plan Everything went exactly as planned. So he's having this conversation, which is great because he's doing it over like the 
open chest of a robot where he's working yeah. on the, like the gizmos of a robot and you actually see him put like one of those tiny little tiny mini tape deck tiny yeah. mini tape decks like the kind you put in an old answering machine he puts it into yeah. the robot i'm like oh that's how the tapes work that's yeah. cool yeah i was very excited about that well no because but so was i it's one of the few times you actually see a robot on a show about robots i don't i don't care about these race car drivers or these these singers show me a robot uh quaid's plan this time is not to kill more, but I guess to convince more to work with him. Yeah, it's weird. Is it, this is this where John shows up at the, yeah, at the caravan? He thing? basically, yeah, he's like, I'm gonna convince John to come work with me because I don't like how he bothers me all the time. So they, you know, they, you know how he sends out signals and Oppenheimer picks up when he sends the robots. Yeah. He basically just sends a fake signal out so that Oppenheimer can find it and say. John, quickly. There's he calls a him on his car phone. Yeah, he calls him on his car phone as he's driving around into the phone. Yeah. So John drives out to a bus in a field that inside is actually a very cool office bus. Yes, but it's the... Maybe you maybe I didn't understand it, but I thought none of this scene made sense. So what happens? And, and you know, jump in and correct me if I'm wrong. He goes in. John's like, I found you. And then... Uh, Quaid's like, no, I, I wanted you to come, blah, blah. You yeah, should I want work you with to me. work with me, yeah. And then John's like, never. Quaid turns around and hits like a button or something. And then it explodes. And John and John gets out, and he's like, but he's fine. And I'm like, but what? What? Like, did Quaid just kill himself? Like, but he didn't. It doesn't make any, but the way it was cut, like, I didn't understand what was happening. Oh, I, 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 I did get it uh, when I was watching it. But yeah, um, Quaid has sent out a robot that looks like him along with a robot who looks like everyone who was with him from the earlier scene oh my into gosh. a bus identical to the ones you've seen earlier so oh, it wasn't because that was because they didn't explain that at all and also you never they never say back oh that was a robot that blew up well they cut back to quaid after it explodes he's just like well it was worth a try um that's what i didn't understand but they never said it was i no, just thought it, it was a really bad edit it was all a ploy he basically sent out a robot version of himself to make this offer to john to get him there what a waste and then of he time. was just gonna blow up john but like it's so dumb but the only the only saving grace of this whole stupid sequence that doesn't mean anything is just a waste of time is that he comes john comes back and pam is pam's actually upset she's upset he almost died she almost died so she's crying a little bit and he just starts like making fun of her because she's crying i wrote down like john is a huge dick yeah and he's, he's like i don't remember what he says he's, he's like what are you crying and she's like, yeah, she's crying. She's upset about that you that you might have died. Why are you making fun of her? Like she just saw you barely jump out of a, a bus. A good friend of hers, although I don't know why you're a piece of garbage. Yeah, he's an ass. <laughs> but yeah, he just starts making fun of her for being worried about him. Yeah, it's an, uh, insane. <laughs> this yeah. characterization of our hero is insane. He's, he's, who do you, who do you like more, Jake Cardigan? Or John Moore. Oh, Jake Cardigan. Yeah, you know what? So do I. Like, I am starting to realize we had a good I know. Tech War. I feel the same way. I can't believe, I can't believe, like, Tech War was a better time than Beyond Westworld. Oh. And it's, and Tech, War's not, Tech World is not good. Oh, yeah. We'll get, we'll get into that some more in a bit. But, um, we go back to the racetrack now. I'm going to skip a bunch of stuff because it's, it's not. They just all, walk down the track and a car comes a car to hit almost them. hits it's them. So it's another red herring. Oh, is that on purpose or was that just the one of our employees who can't drive? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moore actually tells uh, Corey, he's like, oh, we're here. We're looking at your crew because we think one of them's been replaced by a robot. This is the first he's ever heard about robots. And this is actually the first time they explicitly say that they were replacing people with robots. Yes. 
So what happens to the people they replace? I assume they just murder them. Yeah, that's my assumption too. With the exception of Pam that one time. They didn't murder her. Moore doesn't seem to care about all these murdered people. Like He finds the robots that have been replacing people. He doesn't report it to the police. He doesn't tell anyone. Uh, he's a robot investigator, not, not a human investigator. Not he doesn't care his about, job. He doesn't care about the skin jobs. He only cares about robots. That's um, what he calls humans. John yeah. calls humans skin jobs. Skin I just, jobs. I just decided that. That's good. Thanks. That your fan fiction is going to be great. Yeah. John Moore, R.I. versus the skin jobs. Come on, robot. Give me a skin job. <laughs> oh, God. It's good, huh? Let's work on this. All right. After the show. They've decided because they have to win this race and Corey is in a wheelchair now that his fiance and uh, daughter to the patriarch of the company, Diane Lyon, Mm -hmm. should drive in the race because, as Corey puts it, she's going to do it because have you ever tried to and have you ever tried to convince a liberated woman there is something she can't do? Yeah, and, and then they Pam, all, Pam makes a comment. They all have a good laugh at the idea of a liberated woman. Yeah, I know. And then Pam's like, he learned that lesson already or something like that. And he's just like, oh, women are insufferable. Uh, the gender politics of the show are out of control. They're bad. They're bad. They're out of control. Yeah. I have a feeling this was even borderline offensive in 1980. It's like, got, I think people were rolling their eyes. It's got to be. Yeah. It's got to be. But, of course, don't worry. If you thought a woman was going to drive a car, <laughs> she's not. Don't. <laughs> Corey immediately takes the driving away from her because he's built the clumsiest hand controls that he can barely use himself. I, I know. They have the guy showing how he drives, but instead of just having a wheel that has, you know, maybe an accelerator or something on it with a button, he just creates a thing that still pushes like pushes the pedals. It's like, why would you do that that's way more like through four buttons yeah he has to take his hands off the wheel in order to accelerate or brake but he tells her he tells his fiance sorry sweetheart you're a woman everyone knows that your ovaries don't allow you to drive very well you're out i'm in and uh he ends up old uh old half, so, half man driving she's the car. so happy about it she's just like i know she's oh, fine with it thank god you're gonna do it i'm like oh my god. i thought she did pretty well she was doing fine i know uh, it's so absurd. It's race day now. Oppenheimer's decided to show up. He gives a scan, like a very quick scan of the car, finds another bomb in it. Yeah. Like nobody looked at this car. And they did at one point, they go to the, the main mechanic, like, you said you looked it over. And he's like, I did. And that was his only thing. It's like, but you didn't find the bomb? You didn't find this bomb in the car? But there's a secondary bomb, though, to be fair. Well, this is, this is the whole point of them finding one bomb plot wise is. A couple of the crew guys get in a fight about who missed the bomb that was in the car, which lets one of the crew guys get mad that he was being accused of this and he quits because he's also the robot. Like They're yeah. like, also, I'm the robot, but you don't know he, that. Then he goes, so that robot. He walks across the track. Goes to find the other drivers like, hey, can I have a word with you? The guy's like, sure. Goes in, clearly kills the guy, and then puts on his outfit. And no, no one seems to think that's weird. No one goes, you don't look anything like that guy. The other driver. But he has goggles on, so that he was just, it. He just gets in the car. And the race is on. The race that consists of two cars. There are yeah. not any more than two cars well, in this race. I think, though, to be fair, why there would be an audience for this, I don't know. And it's obviously an audience that's nowhere to be seen because in all the wide shots, there's no audience. But they keep cutting to this audience. That's the stock footage, just of, stock an footage of an audience, like at a basketball game or something. Anyway, I think it's fine there's only two cars because they'd mention they're trying to prove that this car is faster than... A normal sort of race car so they're doing a sort of one-on-one test what doesn't make sense though is 
immediately into the race, it's clear this is not going to be a normal race because the robot's trying to. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna argue this for one second. Okay. This is a real race because uh, spoiler alert: he wins the race, and they cut at the, the the final scene of this is them reading a newspaper post race, and it says that Corey has won the Daytona 500. Oh really? Oh, I I withhold all my object- objections, and you're right. So the race we are watching is theoretically the Daytona 500. It's on the same track they've been practicing on this whole time, right? And there are only two cars in it. Well, maybe maybe it's in the future. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a few weeks later. Yeah. Anyway, fair enough. Anyway, the thing is about this race. There, there, there. This race is going on. They're worried Quaid still has another plan. Yeah. They don't know the robots in the other car racing against Corey but he, they're not normal racing he's like trying to smash yeah, the other car stuff. Smash. like you would think they go okay guys stop the race yeah but no one does they just keep going aggressive. it's like it's like uh it reminds me of there was an old episode when i was a kid of inspector gadget and inspector gadget is is in a race car and dr claus another one and dr claus pulling out like uh old things and they're cutting up the tires and lasers and stuff and it's like stop the race this guy's got lasers going on that, not, that can't be regulation yeah there are no rules in racing. That was for all the uh, Inspector Gadget fans out there. I remember that episode. Do you? Oh, yeah. 100%. As soon as you started describing it, I could picture it in my mind. I always wanted Dr. Claw to win. No, always. There, no, there's a robot. Inspector hey, there, you're right. He was a robot. And he didn't... I'm sure he used... What did he use? His long neck or something that to help win? I'm sure he used something. Yeah, yeah. He's got, he had all kinds of great gadgets on him. Got was it. he a robot or was he like a man's brain put into a he robot He was body? a uh, human uh, police officer or private or something that was, I assume, horribly, horribly disfigured and uh, brought back to life like RoboCop with um, with robotic body parts. But they didn't ever kids. show the suffering. I think he became like an alcoholic and he had that a lot be, of problems. Yeah, that was just after the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't see that. Um, yeah, the, but yeah, you're right. Just like Inspector Gadget, the robot's trying to crash into Corey. <laughs> Because, as Oppenheimer discovers, because he finds a paint ship or something on the ground, the mm. robot has painted Corey's car with magnesium paint, which will explode if another car hits it. Yeah. Of course it does. Why not? So it's a, the, the bomb is a paint job on the car. Yeah. Perfect. Sure. How this helps him get the patent on that engine. <laughs> I know. Well, none of this makes sense. None of this helps have, him get the patent. I have no idea. At any rate, John, knowing this, suddenly realizes, oh, obviously the robot who's trying to hit the the car that's trying to hit my friend has a robot in it. He runs and steals another stock car that's just that's laying just sitting around. There, yeah. Is as good a driver, chases them around the track. Well, here's the thing. We've seen that John is an expert mechanic. He's an expert uh, race car driver. He he knows how to use a submarine. He can tie an ascot. Yeah, yeah, he could tie. He could tie a mean ascot. Yeah, and essentially, John somehow maneuvers the robot off the road, and it crashes in a fire explosion. Yeah, he saves the day. And that's it. That's and the, the episode show. ends and then, and really quickly. Stops. It's just like, oh yeah, they cut back to the office and they're reading the paper how he won the Daytona Five Hundred, and I was like, what? And that was it. That another, was, another boring episode with another abrupt ending. Another boring, abrupt ending. I mean, uh, you want? We'll get into some closing closing thoughts about these episodes here. But I gotta say, Beyond Westworld fatigue has set in super hard in these two episodes. I, I agree. I actually we we said we mentioned it earlier, but looking back fondly, on I this look tech I look back more fondly on tech 
tech world tech war i say i think i called it tech world earlier that's the comics tech world anyways tech war sorry if i called it tech world that's how fond i remember it but uh yeah it it at least had moments that were so silly they were kind of fun now obviously they were they were few and far between and it was not a great show itself but beyond westworld so boring the episodes were at least weird and divergent and it never went went it never made sense but never went where you thought it was gonna go at least on this show it's just like i'm always like that guy's the robot or or even worse who is that person he's the robot oh yeah because we never introduced that character ever yeah don't worry about it don't worry about it he's got red glasses he's the robot now um i mean it really speaks to i'm gonna bring up another point you brought up early anyway but the plots of these two episodes are almost identical to the plots of the first two episodes yeah like uh get a nuclear bomb or steal oil yeah or an engine so i assume the fifth episode will be something similar back to nuclear bombs i think or maybe they'll combine them yeah nuclear oil nuclear oil now we're talking yeah there's a race car running on nuclear oil that they have that they to, to that a get, band that a band is playing inside. The ba- band's playing, and uh, uh, but they have a big debt that needs to get paid off. So uh, Quaid buys the debt ahead of time. <laughs> There's the episode done. Write it up, and then what's his days makes fun of uh, Pam for being a woman, and uh, fun little quip and and theme music. Well, there are three writers in the next episode, so really? we're in for a lot of good stuff. I mm. think. All right, you want to rate the, these yeah. bad boys? What do you want to give uh, our first episode? What was that called? Uh, the music one? Uh, oh, uh, Sound of Terror, which makes no sense. I give it a 5 out of 10. 5 out of 10. It's a 2. <laughs> oh, well, nice. I always, I, this is the thing. I know I have the ability to give a low score, but I don't do it. And then I get very excited when you do. Like, I'm like, I can't believe he did it. I wish I had that ability. All right, The Lion. Uh, I'm going to give it a five and a half. I liked it a little bit better, if simply because I didn't have to hear singing every three seconds. One. Oh, again, I'm so excited. Holy moly, you give it a one. And a ten. Uh, it was the worst thing I've ever seen. I was hated it so much. It wasn't much. a one and a ten. Oh, man, so bad. Although I did make the mistake. I watched both episodes in one day, and that was a lot. That was a lot of Beyond Westworld. I did that with the last two, and you're right. It is a lot. <laughs> I, uh, and I, like I said, West Wor- Beyond Westworld fatigue set in super hard for yeah, me. Yeah, I'm glad that the last episode is the last episode. Five episodes is more episodes than this show needed. Yeah, it, it's a mercy for us that it's almost over. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, we'll come back next week. Watch the last one. Maybe it'll surprise us, but probably not. Probably not. But at least there's only one more. In the meantime... If you want to talk Beyond Westworld with us, you can email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com or check out the Twitter or Instagram at continuumdrag. Jordan does amazing work putting up some very great video and uh, photo content on there. So I, I do better work there than I do on the actual podcast. Yeah, yeah I highly recommend checking <laughs> it out. It's good, it's good stuff. We'll just phase the podcast out yeah, and just be in Just put up fun pictures. Yeah. yeah, that's all we need. Uh, well, thanks for joining us, Jordan. Thanks for doing this with me. Yeah, I'll see you next week. Yeah, sounds good. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rexiedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, Emily Carter, and Dwayne Wright.